Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude in over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hello. Welcome back to the show. Got another episode lined up for you today. Today we are talking about sort of a mixed bag of things. Uh, We're going to talk about sugar replacements like stevia and monk fruit. We're going to talk about bloating. We're going to talk a lot about candida um, answering a lot of questions about candida. And then we're getting it into the blood sugar diabetes conversation, type two diabetes and why you have way more control than you think. Uh, but we're also going to talk about a little bit about type one diabetes, which is autoimmunity. We're going to talk about 1.5 and type three, uh, diabetes. And then we're also going to discuss eating for autoimmunity. So this was an Instagram live video that I did where I answered a bunch of your questions and got a lot of really great feedback. Since my podcast audience is bigger than my Instagram audience, I always like to publish it here. And that just gives you different options to listen to all of this stuff. Personally, I tend to be more of a podcast listener than an IGTV watcher. So uh, I just like to give you the options to listen to this multiple places. Uh, Before I hit play, I want to answer a question that comes in sort of frequently, but I think a lot of you are maybe nervous to ask this question. And so if that's the case, I want to make sure that I answer it. It has to do with weight loss, specifically in relation to the Carb Compatibility Project, which is a four-week nutrition plan that I run twice a year. This is the last time this year you can get it. It's the only live nutrition coaching I do. My private practice is function, is really dedicated to functional medicine. There's very little nutrition coaching that I do in my one-on-one practice. This is the place where I do my nutrition coaching. It's through the CCP. So if that's something that you're interested in, or if you've sent us an email or you've DM'd me about wanting nutrition help, this is the place to get it. Um, if you want to utilize my unique methodologies. So the question about weight loss, somebody wrote in to our support email and said, I know that you're not marketing this as a weight loss plan, but can I still lose weight? And this is such a sensitive question um, and I want to do it justice and I want to be as honest as I can. I need to post a disclaimer and say that I am not the authority on your body ever, ever. So that means if weight loss is your goal, that is 100% your prerogative. I am not here to tell you that you're wrong or to make you feel ashamed about wanting to lose weight. 
I want to get that. I want to just say that right out of the gate because that is so important for you to hear from me and to understand that this is your body and nobody else can tell you what to do with your body. The reason, however, that I don't market my programs, any of them, as weight loss plans is because I am not a weight loss nutritionist. As many of you know, I suffered heavily with eating disorders for 13 years. And I did not walk through the fiery hell of anorexia and bulimia to come out on the other side selling you weight loss shenanigans, right? I didn't. I couldn't do that to myself. That would be so out of alignment with my own integrity. And I can't perpetuate the the lie that got me sick. I won't do it. I would be a very rich woman if I did. There's a lot of money to be made in weight loss. I won't do it, right? Always people over profits for me, always. On top of that, I've worked with a lot of people, thousands of women over the past decade that I've been doing this work. And I've seen a lot of women tie up their entire identity and sense of self-worth into their weight. Women who have been on a perpetual quest for weight loss for quite literally decades, most of their life, most of their life. So using my degree and my platform to perpetuate the narrative that weight loss equals salvation not only feels exhausting and baseless, it feels cruel because I have found that this ongoing weight loss quest actually makes people less well. So that's why I don't market my shit as weight loss programs, okay? But having said all of that, having said all of that, People can lose weight using the principles outlined in the Carb Compatibility Project, and they often do. If you have ever checked out the testimonials that I post on social media or on my website, you'll see that there's a lot of participants, a lot of people who've gone through this program have lost weight, either within the program or the months after the program, utilizing these principles. When you give the body what it needs, it will prioritize healing. And so what we give the body in this program is proper fuel and also ways to allow the nervous system to relax because we know that healing happens in the parasympathetic mode of the nervous system, right? And I've talked about weight loss on the show before. I think that the title of the the podcast is everything you ever wanted to know about weight loss. And I really talked about this principle about how the body has to be out of a stress response in order for it to feel safe to release weight, right? So this is why I incorporate a lot of nervous system down regulation, a lot of mindfulness practices throughout all of the work that I do. I give you these tools in the Carb Compatibility Project and we allow the body to heal. And sometimes healing and weight loss are synonymous, right? And so that's why we see people lose weight. What I say is that this is an eating plan supportive of weight loss if you have weight to lose, if you have weight to lose. And I just, the, here's the deal in my eyes. If a practitioner or practitioner or a coach or a program guarantees weight loss in four weeks, that means they are willing to do some potentially harmful shit to get you that goal, or they're willing to turn the other way while you do some potentially harmful shit. So that's why I would never guarantee weight loss because then it becomes weight loss 
at any price, right? And so this, the carb compatibility project, while many people go through this program and lose weight, it is not a weight loss at any cost program. This is not an override your hunger cues, override the signals your body is sending you program. Never that. You will never get that from me. This is a fuel yourself appropriately, balance what needs to be balanced, learn the ways of your body, release the pressure valve of perfection program. And when you do those things, the body responds pretty damn well to that. Okay? So I hope that clears up the question and um, I never want anyone to feel uncomfortable asking those types of questions to me, but the methods that I give you can allow you to lose weight if you have weight to lose, but we're not going to put weight loss on a pedestal above all other health parameters ever. I will never, ever, ever do that to you. Okay, um, one quick mention before we listen to the episode today or the, uh, the conversation today is you'll notice that I mentioned Organifi. Um, I use it, so people were asking about monk fruit sweetener and so I was using that as an example and I held up the container on the video since you can't see <laughs> I want to tell you that I was using the gold powder. So I was talking about the Organifi gold powder. I love it. You'll, you'll hear exactly how I use it in the conversation. Um, but just remember, because I didn't mention this in the video, just remember that you receive 20% off all Organifi products. If you go to Organifi.com forward slash funk, you get 20% off. Um, they're low sugar. So they use the monk fruit sweetener, which you'll learn about in a second. Uh, they're low sugar, under three grams of sugar. Um, and it's an awesome way to get that sweet taste, especially if you're trying to mask a bunch of veggies in your smoothie like I do. All right, friends, without much further ado here. Oh, one more thing. One more thing. Um, I did want to mention that we have, um, we have implemented a payment plan for the CCP for the very first time. Um, I don't think I've mentioned that on the show before. So I wanted to let you know from me to you, uh, you can now pay in two monthly installments. Uh, that is a new thing that we're offering this round. So just as a heads up, if you've been thinking about pulling if you think thinking about going for it with the CCP, you can totally do the payment plan that's available on the website. Uh, I leave registration open through May 3rd. All are welcome. Come one, come all. I'm so excited to get started with this. It's going to be phenomenal. It's a really good supportive group. You're going to learn a lot about yourself, about your body, about food, all of it. Okay. So payment plans available. Okay. Now, without much further ado, here is the show. Hello, we're doing it. We're live. Okay, great. Listen, you know that I've been binging a lot of sex in the city when my hair starts to look like this. I'm channeling some Carrie B vibes, I think. Some, some Floridian hair, if I ever saw some. All right, so today is part two of our sugar conversation. We're going to talk about sugar sub substitutes. We're going to talk about candida. We're going to talk about diabetes, type 1, type 1.5. Was wait, What? 1.5, type 2, type 3, all the diabetes. We're going to talk about blood sugar regulation as it relates to immune health, okay? So let's dive in. If you're alive here and you have questions, you can certainly post them into the comments and I'm happy to answer your cues. So let's start with 
uh, sugar substitutes because that was like one of the top questions that I got. What's the deal with sugar substitutes? Are they good? Are they bad? First of all, artificial sweeteners, just throw them in the garbage. So these would be your, why can't I think? Like the pink packet, what is that called? You know what I'm talking about. The artificial sweeteners. No bueno. They, they're just, they're not, they're not good. But most people weren't asking about those. Most people were asking about like, what about stevia or monk fruit, right? Um, sugar alcohols. Sugar alcohols can be kind of problematic for some people's tummies, their digestive issues. So for that, I usually tend to stay away from them. Stevia, monk fruit are the two that I tend to utilize the most. So we'll talk about those. But we always have to think about like, what are we using them for? It's not a, are they good or are they bad? It's like, what's the purpose of them? Because a lot of people are using them to try to outsmart their body. And if you're doing that, it's probably not going to work. Because what happens anytime our mouth tastes something sweet, whether it has calories or not, it triggers an insulin response. And so if somebody has dysregulated insulin signaling, this is the last thing that we want the body to be doing, right? So what happens is that our, our mouths sense the sweet taste and it sends a message to the body like, hello, calories are coming because most, most calories kind of ride in on some sweet foods, right? So the body starts to prep itself essentially for calories. And when it doesn't get it, it's like, hey, what the heck? So sometimes the bacteria in our guts can actually harvest more calories from our food. But a lot of the times what happens is that people end up hungry because the body's like expecting calories. They're not getting it. And so then it signals more hunger cues. Now, if somebody is dealing with issues with leptin resistance, if somebody's dealing with issues with just having kind of dysregulated hunger cues, this is an ideal situation. I will use certain artificial sweeteners sometimes, but I have really strong hunger cues and satiety cues, meaning I get, I have a healthy appetite, I eat and then I feel full. So for me, they're perfectly fine to use once in a while. So it's really comes back to context, which I know is a really frustrating answer to get, but hey, it's the human body and yours is unique. What, what, what? I'm rather unique, just like AZ said. So as far as stevia goes, first of all, stevia as a natural sweetener, well, Stevia is a green leaf that's naturally sweet. So natural stevia powder is actually a green powder. Most of us are consuming it in like packets, like with white powder or in something like this, like a clear liquid. I will use this sometimes. Um, so it's not supernatural. It is derived from a natural source. However, um, once in a blue moon, I will use this in like a cocktail or like sometimes in my tea, but I'm usually using honey, but that's like a decent option. I think I also like monk fruit and that doesn't seem to have a real destabilizing effect on blood sugar for the most part. Um, a lot of the powders I use, so I use a lot of Organifi powders. They are sweetened with monk fruit. And the reason that I like using these sweetened powders, I throw them into my smoothie and that way I can add like a ton of veggie matter into my smoothie. And I like to do that because it's really good for my microbiome, getting all of those different polyphenols, all those different, that veggie variety is really good for the microbiome. It's good for liver pathways. It's good for the mitochondria. It's antioxidants. It's awesome. But if I'm just putting a ton of veggies in a blender and blending it, it's going to taste like swamp. And I don't really like to, you know, I don't really enjoy swamp. So I do utilize these sweetened powders for that exact reason. So again, we always want to come back to, why am I using them? And how frequently am I using them? Are you just putting, are you sweetening everything that you eat? That's a problem in and of itself. There is some degree of like 
palette resetting that has to come into play. I talk about this a lot in the carb compatibility project. Our, our palate shouldn't be like so hyper attenuated to sweet things that anything not sweet tastes yucky to us. So we're always kind of considering the like the we're weighing up the pros and the cons with these sweeteners even though they're they're considered natural they're derived from a natural source but it's not like eating raw honey or maple maple syrup right it's just not um I would say that the the upside to maple syrup is that it does come and this is real maple syrup it does come with some nutrients same deal with honey right it's not just it's not the same as table sugar so as far as a caloric sweetener i always go with maple syrup or honey or um coconut sugar over just plain cane sugar if you know if i can i i can't think of like one time when i'm really eating any cane sugar we don't keep it in the house um okay so I think I talked about all of the things that I wanted to say in regards to that. Somebody had asked about sugar in SIBO. She said, if somebody gets bloated right after they consume a lot of sugar, is this a bacterial thing? Number one, I want to say, is it true bloating? Because a lot of us have kind of convinced ourselves we're bloating. Listen, food has to go somewhere. So if you see a little bit of stomach distension after eating a full meal, that might not be bloating. That might just be your anatomy. So if, if you are truly bloated and it's paired with gas, either coming out this way or that way, or there's pain and discomfort with the distension, okay, now we're, now we're really dealing with bloating. Now we have a problem. If your stomach just like kind of moves out after you eat and then it comes back in. Somebody just called me. So I don't know. Hopefully we're all still alive here. Um, again, if your stomach kind of moves out and extends after eating food, that's perfectly normal because your food has to go somewhere, right? It's like moving through your body. It has to go somewhere and your anatomy has to make space for your food. So just to make sure we're talking about true bloating. When bloating happens, we always want to know when, right? If you're getting bloated, when does it happen? If it happens like pretty quickly after you eat, that's usually an issue with bacteria translocated in the wrong part. So in, in your upper GI, in the small intestine, if it's happening kind of three, four hours after you eat, we're probably dealing with some issues in the large intestine. So it's really always about when. So if somebody's eating a lot of sugar and they get bloating, they get dis uncomfortable, they're burping, or they've got uh, pressure in their upper abdomen, or they're farting a lot, then we might be dealing with small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, potentially. As far as candida goes, a lot of questions about candida because candida, so first of all, candida is a, is a yeast. It's commensal yeast, meaning we all have it in and on us, right? We all have candida. It's very opportunistic. So it, if it gets the chance to overgrow, it's going to seize that opportunity and it becomes really scrappy and it can get really invasive and it can be really hard to get rid of. And that's the issue with candida. So a lot of people go on these anti-candida diets, which are low sugar, sometimes even low carb diets to try to clear out the candida. Now that's a smart bet because candida feasts off of glucose secretion. So if there's glucose present, candida is going to have a freaking field day. It's going to thrive. In the presence of glucose, it actually changes morphology. So it becomes, it changes into its hyphae form with kind of has like finger-like projections and it can get more invasive. It can invade the, uh, the mucosal layers and just get really kind of like 
all up in your kitchen. And so that happens in the presence of glucose, which is why if you do have a fungal overgrowth, if you do have a candida overgrowth, it makes sense to reduce your sugars by doing something like the carb compatibility project. Shameless plug, what's up? However, however, just doing a low sugar diet alone is usually not enough to get rid of candida. It usually is a more involved process, uh, working with a practitioner to get to the bottom of that. So just keep that in mind. A low sugar diet can be part of a, of a candida kill, so to speak, but you also usually need antifungals, whether that's herbal antifungals or prescription antifungals. You want to work with your practitioner about uh, on that. Um, but candida is pretty scrappy. And so even when you change your diet, it can like figure out how to survive. So that's that. Okay. Diabetes. So I had kind of a, a, a quite a bit of questions come in about type one diabetes, which is interesting because I don't really talk about that too much. Um, type one diabetes is different than type two diabetes. Type one diabetes is an autoimmune illness, right? It's, it's, has been historically considered juvenile, um, juvenile onset diabetes. Um, and there's usually some trigger. So it's usually that you get it in childhood and it's usually, um, after some type of infection. So the body gets an infection, the immune system tries to clear the infection, the infection, there might be some molecular mimicry and the infection kind of trips up an autoimmune response. And that's, that's usually what happens with type one diabetes. Type two diabetes is totally different in that it, there's no genetic component. It's really lifestyle, which is kind of, that lands really tough with a lot of people because when people hear that, they immediately go into self-flagellation. They immediately go into like, well, I guess it's all my fault. I did this to myself. There's a lot of shame in that. And I just want to say, listen, if you have a high hemoglobin A1C, if you have high fasting glucose, if you've been diagnosed with pre-diabetes or diabetes, take the shame out. Just You just got to remove the shame because we all grew up in an environment that kind of predisposed us to metabolic dysfunction, right? We eat a very high, uh, highly processed, um, highly refined, a lot of refined carbohydrates, a lot of refined sugars. We live in an environment where we are inundated with chemicals, uh, toxic chemicals, right? And that has a huge implication in, in how, in our, um, in our metabolism, right? I've been talking about that a little bit, right? We can't talk about, about the web of insulin resistance and diabetes and obesity without looking at the chemicals that we're being exposed to. It's part of the overall picture. Microbiome, our gut health impacts our metabolism and insulin signaling and blood sugar control. And so we've just all have like been brought up in this environment that is not supportive of that. So take some of the burden off of your shoulders is the first thing I want to say. And the second thing that I want to say is I hope people can move from a place of like shame and to a place of power and kind of like taking your power back because the really great thing about high blood sugar and about uh, metabolic dysfunction is that you have the power to change that with your lifestyle choices, with your dietary choices. And things can change pretty quickly. I've seen people go through my, my carb compatibility project. It's a four week process. And I've seen people bring down their hemoglobin A1C. Hemoglobin A1C is one of the markers that we look for when we're assessing blood sugar. And we can make really effective change 
really pretty quickly, which to me is incredible. That is such an empowering and hopeful thought. Like we're not doomed and destined to be sick. Like you deserve to be well. You deserve to feel good. You deserve to have energy. And I don't care if whoever's listening to this, it applies to you whether or not you have high blood sugar or not. We all, it is a right, it is a human right to feel good. And a lot of us are running around feeling not so good, right? Listen, I don't do this work because I just like to talk about carbs. (laughs) Truly, I don't. I do this work because I want people to feel better. I want people to see what's possible. I want people to understand that they have so much more power than they give themselves credit for. We haven't been taught this, right? We haven't been taught this. And so we're like, well, I guess this is, you know, my cross to bear. It isn't. It is not. You deserve to feel good, okay? So type 2 diabetics or high blood sugar picture, there is hope for you. Um, I do have a a four-week plan. Like I talked about that kind of we, we go through a lot of systems, uh, a lot of, there's a framework, but there's also a lot more than that um, to start to bring down those blood sugars or even out. If you have high blood sugars, it works. If you have low blood sugars, it works. If you're like many people and you kind of bounce between high and low, it also works. So that's type two. There's also um, type 1.5 diabetes, which is um, latent autoimmune diabetes of adulthood. I always forget the name of it. So I had to check my notes. It's really, really common. In fact, somewhere between 10 to 25% of type two diabetics diagnosed type two actually have this 1.5 and there actually is an autoimmune component to it, which is a little bit tricky. It's quite interesting. So that's really the difference between type two and type one. It's that autoimmune component. So they're not handled in the exact same way. Type one diabetics do have to be mindful of glycemic load. They do have to be mindful of it, but it's an autoimmune condition, meaning you have to take an autoimmune approach. So somebody with type one diabetes could be on a low carb diet and their diabetes could still be out of control because their immune system is out of control. So we really have to take an autoimmune approach with type one diabetics. We have to focus on balancing the immune system. So what does that mean? I mean, there's way too much for me to talk about in a 20 minute video, but just kind of the basics of it are making sure that we're removing the big antigenic foods. So for most people with autoimmunity, it is gluten and dairy. Honestly, I've got a lot of questions about autoimmunity and whether the carb compatibility project would be appropriate. This is the way that I eat to manage my autoimmunity and keep it into remission. There's a lot of autoimmune um, eating plans that are really, really restrictive. And what we're now seeing is that this restriction actually creates more problems in the long run. So with my clients and with myself, I do not take that restrictive approach because it, it, it just doesn't make sense. And it's really stressful. And do you want to know what the number one trigger for autoimmunity is? It's stress. So I'm not going to stress myself out through diet. It's like, Pete, what is it? Stealing from Peter to pay Paul? I always get that one wrong. You know what I'm saying. So, um, so autoimmune, so, but, but taking out big, the big trigger antigenic foods for most people with auto, autoimmunity goes a really long way. So again, gluten is the big one. Dairy, casein protein tends to be the second tier. There's other food antigens, but those are the two that I tend to work with and pull out of my nutrition programs, especially for folks with autoimmunity for that, for that reason. We also want to reduce an inflammatory load. So reducing sugar is a really smart bet for autoimmunity. There tends to be unchecked inflammation that goes on. So bringing that down through our diet 
taking an anti-inflammatory approach makes really good sense for stabilizing the immune system, for popping autoimmunity into remission. Yeah, it could be that easy. Just gonna pop, pop it right into remission. That's the way I look at it, right? And so for that reason, I do, I do recommend an approach similar to how I have it structured in the CCP. The other thing that I wanna talk about is the gut immune connection when it comes to blood sugar. So our microbiome is so influential in our metabolism, in our insulin signaling, and in our overall um, blood sugar control. A lot of things are happening at the level of the gut. So we have to support our immune system, or excuse me, our gut, if we wanna support our blood sugar control and our immune system. And what we know is that if somebody has a high hemoglobin A1C, it's a lot of uh, a lot of glycated end products that can actually trigger a leaky gut process. Okay, the problem is that when we have leaky gut, that also triggers and exacerbates type one and type two diabetes. So it's really like this vicious cycle. We have to break it. And we break it by lowering stress, by doing mindfulness practices, by removing food antigens and food triggers, by lowering inflammation, the inflammatory load of our diet. Those all have to have to come into play. We have to support, so we have to support the gut. Um, any questions about that? I'm happy to answer questions on the fly here. I'm just gonna take a peek down at my notes to make sure that I'm saying the things that I want to say. The other thing, and I think we're all very aware of our immune system functioning right now because, you know, global pandemic might do that for you. A really big thing with insulin resistance, and one of the reasons that I was like really promoting the CCP this past year, like get up on it, is because if you do have insulin resistance, it's a very, very inflammatory process that brings down our T-cell response, that affects our antioxidants, our neutrophils, that affects everything in the immune system, it completely dysregulates. So we have to, if we have insulin resistance, it's really our responsibility to kind of take good care. I always think about, I do not like to blame the individual for like societal problems, right? Like we all made this mess, society made this, this health mess. So blaming the individual doesn't really sit right with me, but the individual eventually does have to take responsibility for their health, which kind of sucks, you know? It's not the easy path. I'll say that. Um, Julieta, it's not detailed because I'm never going to be somebody that tells you exactly what to eat. I always want to bring you back to yourself. I've never done a meal plan in my life. Definitely not going to start now. Um, there are, there's structure to work within. Um, there's, it's more structured than eat to achieve. That's for sure. But it's not like, I'm not going to be like, you need to eat half a cup of broccoli at this at 3 p.m. this day. Never that. That is like the antithesis of my approach to food. Um, Crohn's in autoimmune disease. Yes, it is. Is colitis in autoimmune disease? Yes, they are. They're considered IBD, irritable bowel disease, which is autoimmunity. It is. Yep. Um, okay. Oh, I also said I was going to talk about type 3 diabetes. Alzheimer's is now being considered type 3 diabetes because we know how much blood sugar impacts the health of the brain. That's the other thing. And maybe this is like the last thing that I say to you guys before I jump off. All of your health goals. If you're here, put down a health goal that you have. I don't care if it's weight loss. You can say that. I'm not going to come after you. I totally respect that. Whether it's adrenal health, whether it's energy, whether it's cognition, brain health, whether it's um, hormone balance, thyroid balance, 
you know, whatever it is, put it in the comments below. I want to see all of them, all of them, all of them, all of them, all of them are dependent on you having good glycemic control, good blood sugar control. If you have dysregulated blood sugar, it hamstrings and essentially puts the brakes on everything else on every other goal you have. We cannot achieve health in any other department in our body if we have dysregulated blood sugar because why? It's inflammatory. It's going to kick everything off. A, a um, hormone balance. Oh my God. I, I oh, Even before I let people into your hormone revival, which is my 12-week hormone balancing program, I recommend that they do the CCP just to balance their blood sugar. And listen, this time around, and I'm not just saying this to promote my services, it is the God's honest truth. This time around in YHR, I've seen the best blood sugar markers out of any group I've run. And I'm like, what is going on here? And then people are like, we did the CCP. People regulate their blood sugar. Once we regulate your blood sugar, then we can dive into thyroid. Then we can dive into your hormones. Then we can start tweaking things and doing the fun stuff. You got to regulate your blood sugar first. Healthy aging. So what I was saying, Joanna, is that type, I mean, I think a lot of us are pretty, if you've ever seen somebody uh, experience all, Alzheimer's in your family, that's like really jarring, right? That's like a really tragic thing. And I think we're all hyper-conscious of that. We have to regulate our blood sugar. Type three diabetes is considered, or Alzheimer's is considered type three, but diabetes because of the detrimental effects that outrageous blood sugar has on your brain. But even just as basic as brain fog, you have brain fog, regulate your blood sugar. It's so important. Um, can you have insulin resistance while having normal thyroid health? Well, your markers, the markers on the thyroid panel might look okay, but you might have some level of thyroid resistance, meaning like the thyroid uh, hormone itself isn't getting into the cell because insulin resistance is really good at blocking thyroid. Um, signs that your blood sugar is out of whack. Good question. <laughs> Back to the basics. I probably should have start, started here. So for low blood sugar, it is brain fog, irritability. When I snap at my husband for no reason, I'm like, oh, my blood sugar must be low. Um, it is kind of getting that like spacey feeling, um, if you're bonking during your workouts, like you just don't have the energy that you should or you can't sustain your workouts, that can be low blood sugar. Headaches, I think I said brain fog, that's a really big one. Low energy, just getting people to eat breakfast and to stabilize their blood sugar, all of a sudden their energy bounces back. It's crazy, right? Um, the other thing that's a really big sign of low blood sugar, if you eat and you feel like you have more energy, you shouldn't. You should eat and you should feel less hungry. If you eat and you're like, whew, all of my problems just went away. I really saved myself there. That means you had low blood sugar. On the flip side of the same coin, high blood sugar usually looks like feeling like you have to take a nap uh, after you eat or feeling like you need coffee or feeling like you need uh, just like sugar, like craving sugar. Craving sugar can be both high and low blood sugar, but craving sugar after a meal is oftentimes high blood sugar. Um, and we tend to see with the high blood sugar picture, not always, but we tend to see more weight gain around the midsection. That's a pattern. That's not a rule, but that's a pattern that we, te we tend to see. So... 
Oh, it's Brooke, totally fine. The CCP is my carb compatibility project. It's a four week nutrition plan. It is, I only, it's the only live nutrition plan I run and I only run it twice per year now and then again in January. So um, that is what I'm talking about right now. And the reason that I created this program is because this is what I was doing with every single client. Every single client came to me, like 90%, 95% of clients had really dysregulated blood sugar. So I'm like, yikes we have to regulate your blood sugar before we can do anything else. So I was doing the system over and over and over again. And I'm like, this can be a program. But on top of that, I give you the tools to regulate your blood sugar. But on top of that, I also give you the tools to learn how to self-assess and trust yourself. So you're not constantly leaning on other people or like relying on meal plans to figure out how to eat. As adults, we shouldn't need meal plans. We should just know how to eat. We were never taught that. There's no shame in your game if you're like, I just need a meal plan. We were never taught how to eat. This is so ludicrous. If my mission in life is to teach people how to fuel themselves and get them feeling better so they can go out and live the life of their dreams, seize the day, hit your goals. I want you to go out there and do that. You can't do that if you're constantly worried about food or if you're constantly saying, is this too many carbs? Is this not enough carbs? Is this too much sugar? Is this not enough sugar? Do you recognize how much brain space that takes up? The moment I stopped eating, I stopped second guessing myself and I stopped eating to lose weight and started eating to fuel myself and fuel my dreams is the moment that everything changed for me. Everything, everything. And that's what I want for people is to like get out of their heads and just like know how to fuel themselves and go out and live their life, their very best life. That's what I want. Um, Okay, so hopefully that I answered all the cues and... Um, yeah, I would love to have you join me for the Carb Compatibility Project. It's going to be a bitch in time. It always is. You also get a lot of workouts too. So that's the other thing that I want to say. If you have high blood sugar, we have included interval training style workouts. If you have low blood sugar, we've included some grounding exercises for you. So we get to pick your poison. All right, my friends, it was lovely to see you all here. Thanks for tuning in. And I'm so sweaty from like getting all fired up. Um, I will catch you all soon. Bye. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.